Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me, to, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Now, when Paul here says, finally, my brethren, it's not like when a preacher gets up there and says, in conclusion. <laughs> I heard one person talk about that, and they say sometimes they have three conclusions. <laughs> they just keep on going with, with what's going on with, with that. But uh, that's not actually what he is saying either. He is not saying, finally, I just get to the end of this, because we're only halfway through the the epistle. So really this isn't that. It's, I put it in your outline for you. It, it goes this way. Not I'm about to close, but as to what remains is actually what that word would be better. And uh, that Rotherham is actually a translation. That's actually his translation of it. I uh, didn't look that one up on the internet, but I have a volume that actually gave me a little, little uh, excerpt from his. Uh, I guess he has a New Testament or a whole Bible translation. I'm not sure. It was a new one for me. But anyway, that's how he, he translated, as to what remains. And now he's going to address those things. So finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, this might seem to have nothing to do with what's going on here next. But apparently, in Paul's mind, it does. So if it does in Paul's mind, we have to understand why this has something to do with the rest of what's going on. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Apparently, it's important that we be rejoicing in the Lord in order for the rest of this stuff to work. So he says, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. He doesn't mind going over the same things is what he's saying. I'll go over the same things with you. It's not a problem for me. And for you, it's just a safety thing. Sometimes we have to remember that. I heard uh, uh, Brother Hagen used to tell us this when we were in school or some of the seminars. He says, you know, sometimes people, when they hear, we're going to talk about faith or we're going to talk about this. Oh, well, I've already heard about that. <laughs> and well, if you, if you really heard about it, if you really know what's going on in that, just for somebody to talk about it again, say, oh, glory to God. Let's go. <laughs> we're ready to hear some more. Because we know that there's more that we, haven't, that we don't know about it. The more I know about a topic, generally, the more I know I don't know. And so when somebody else can get up and teach me some more, oh, this is good. Because there's some holes that I have to fill. So he says, I go over the same things with you. And how many of you know when you hear the same thing over again, that sometimes you're in a different place spiritually, so you can hear what you couldn't hear before. You can understand what you couldn't understand before. And so that's good. And then once you get that more understanding, then you go on, you can get even more after that. So he says, I'll keep writing the same things to you. Keep telling you the same things. It's not tedious and it's safe for you. And then he says, beware of dogs. Now, how many have ever heard, I heard somebody say this one time. I thought it was kind of funny. How many of you have verses that you put on your refrigerator? Verses that you put on your mirror in the bathroom to remind you about stuff. This is a verse that is on some people's fences. <laughs> beware of dogs. Now, the word there for dogs very often in the Bible is used of the heathen, of those that are not saved. Remember when Jesus came and was talking to the woman? It's not right for the dogs to have the children's bread. And she said, yeah, but even the dogs can eat the crumbs, so forth. Well, he's not calling her a dog, per se. It's, it's more that I'm not here for the heathen. I'm not here for the, the, the uh, non-Israelites, the, the, the non-believers. 
But she showed herself to be a believer by her faith. So he came on over and says, Oh, a child. Because <laughs> of her faith always got his attention. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. And beware of mutilation. Now we read that and sometimes we can just read it by it real fast and not real short. What in the world he is talking about here? Why are we talking about dogs? Well, we're talking about heathen. He's about ready to talk about some uh, false teachers and some false doctrines that are getting ready to hit or already are hitting the Philippian believers. And so he first off says, beware of dogs. He, he, his his um, exhortation is going to go into the false teachers that are there. So the first thing he calls them is dogs. <clears throat> heathen. That there are some people who put themselves up as teachers in the body of Christ that he didn't consider to be any more than a heathen. So he says, beware of dogs. Just because somebody put themselves up as a teacher of things of the Spirit does not mean that they are. <clears throat> so he's saying, beware of dogs. Because who you see as a teacher may actually be a dog, may actually be a heathen. And you're looking at them as, as something spiritual. So that's the first thing he says. Beware of evil workers. Again, we're talking about false teachers. So he's saying that there are some false teachers who go about and work evil. If they are working evil, are they working for the kingdom? No. So they may be, they may even be born again. Maybe they're not dogs, but they're not working the things of the kingdom. They're working, they're being mindful of, of other things. Just like Peter, when he rebuked Jesus. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Who was not working good at that point. Beware of evil workers. People who work evil. Beware of the mutilation. Now, in the, King New, in the New King James, that's really weird. I mean, what in the world are we talking about here? Well, what he's talking about is he's talking about circumcision. And what he is saying by using the, the phraseology the way that he has done it here is that people, though they are Jewish, though they have gone through the circumcision, though they have gone through the mark of being of the family of God, have done nothing more than mark up their bodies. Because they've taken the ritual of circumcision, which was to demonstrate something very beautiful and, and, and very um, separating from the world, and they've taken it and they've just, just kind of ruined it. And it's become nothing more than mutilation. And there are heathen nations around heathen people who mutilated their bodies in worship to their deities. And he's basically putting them on that level. So he's talking about false teachers. And he first off says, beware of heathen, beware of dogs. Secondly, beware of evil workers. That there are some people in the body of Christ that though they may be teachers are working evil. They're not working the good of the kingdom. And beware of people who just have the outward appearance of being in the family, but not an inward change. We must beware of that. Now, this is something that we have used for a long time as part of the qualifications of people when we bring guest speakers out. There are some times that we bring out a guest speaker. Most of the time, we know them. Every once in a while, we have uh, somebody that we respect, and they, they uh, recommended somebody to us, and we've taken them on out. And one of the things we, we've uh, noted on a few and never brought them back was uh, the way they treated people. Some of them treated other people very harshly, very rudely. And if they did that, we just politely, we wouldn't, I mean, we're not in a position to rebuke them or to correct them. We had no authority over them in, at, at all. Um, it wasn't in our place to do so. If we did, they had no reason to listen and they just, you know, 
go out there and say things about how we approach it and all that sort of thing. So we we know that, but um, you, know, you just take them out to a restaurant. I remember one one couple in particular took them out to the restaurant and they made that poor waitress feel very bad, very very poorly. Now we made sure we tipped her very good and went over to her and actually apologized. I am sorry for the way that they treated you. And um, that's not the way we would we would expect anyone to be treated. And she wasn't doing bad service. It's just that, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> she wasn't doing bad service. There wasn't anything that was going on there. Um, it's, you know, when I go out to a restaurant, I don't necessarily want to, to make um, a point of bad service. I like to make a point of good service. You know, and, and I know I do some things that put them poor waiters and waitresses to a test. I know I do. My family sometimes will warn them before we get there. One of the things they always say to people is, he's a camel. And I, I am. I'll tell you what, they will go back and forth. They will fill up my, my um, beverage four to eight times over a meal. Four if I'm not too thirsty. And um, they will ref- refill the bread bowl. Because I'll go through myself one or two bread bowls. Because, I mean, it's there. And they have good bread. And if we go to a Mexican restaurant and they have the tortillas and the salsa, <laughs> heaven help them. Heaven help them. I sometimes just told them, look, you might just want to get one for me. And <laughs> the rest of them can, can have some of the other, other things that are there. And, uh, and, and, but if they don't get it there, I don't yell at them. I don't, I don't holler at them. And when they do bring something, I, I, we've had some times where uh, one, one person... They, uh, they, they noticed I was going through stuff pretty, and they actually brought two. Hey, here you go. Here's one for now and one for the next one. <laughs> and I just smiled at him and said, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And um, you know, I'd rather reward good behavior than point out bad. Because I don't come out of there feeling good. They don't come out of there feeling good, and nobody gets, gets helped. So you just look at how they, they treat people. Now, I'm not saying that those people aren't born again. They aren't part of the kingdom of God. But if I'm going to bring somebody out here at least the second time, it's because what I've seen of their character is character that I want you to um, understand. You can copy it. If I don't feel that they are a person that you can copy their character, I won't bring them back. I won't say anything to anybody. I won't say anything to you. We didn't bring them back because of whatever it was. I just don't bring them back. We just bring back other people and generally you bring out somebody else and, oh, we love these. Can we have them back again? <laughs> Sometimes, and just because I don't bring somebody back doesn't mean it was for that reason. <laughs> there can be other scheduling problems and, and, uh, and things like that. I'm working with Tony Cook right now, trying to get him to come on out. And I said, hey, t- hey Brother Tony, he said, can you come out in October? He's uh, apparently in October is not possible. He says, I'm traveling overseas a lot more now. So it's not like he can just come from Texas, fly over to Philadelphia and go over to... He's uh, over in India, and he's over, I think in October he's over in India and some other spots like that. So he gave me a couple of dates, and I'll tell you what, two of them are over holidays. And I said, I don't know how that's going to work. Another one is kind of close to one of the other meetings. I said, that's probably not going to work either. So I'm not sure. So if we don't have Brother Tony in, it's not because there's anything in character. <laughs> I'm bringing him up because you all know Brother Tony pretty well, and you know there's nothing in his character that would uh, be fitting what, what we described. He is the nicest person to every single person I've seen him come in contact with. Just uh, overly nice to, to, to anything. I don't think a harsh word. I've never heard a harsh word come out of his mouth. 
And he's just, uh, that's the type of temperament that you like to, that you like to see, that you like to, to bring out. You want people to come out that are full of joy. That, um, you know, that, that there's, anyway, just some of those things. But he says here, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutilation. Just because people put themselves up as a teacher doesn't mean that their life uh, is there to support it. And you want to look at their lifestyle. So make sure that they're not heathens. Make sure that they may be in the kingdom and not working for the kingdom. They're working for a different kingdom. And make sure that they're not just having the outward appearance of being in the kingdom, that there's actually an inward change in their character. So he's about to deal with false teachers here. And he says to them, rejoice in the Lord. Apparently, if you stay in a place of rejoicing in the Lord, you are less susceptible to false teaching. I mean, can you come up with any other conclusion why he talks about rejoicing in the Lord before he talks about false teachers? And I'll tell you why. If you, if you stay full of joy, you get around false teachers. False teachers are not full of joy. And they can't be. So the more full of joy that you are, the more you are repelled by those who aren't. Not even necessarily consciously. There's just some people, I'd just rather not be around. You don't, you're not saying, well, they're not full of joy. There's just something that's not connecting there. So stay rejoicing. Give you a little bit of preventative maintenance. Staying away from being tangled up with those kind of, kind of teaching. There are two types of false teaching are trying to overtake the Philippian believers. The first one is legalism. The doctrine that salvation is gained through good works. We're all real familiar with what legalism is. The other one is antinomianism. The doctrine that Christians are freed from moral law by virtue of grace as set forth in the gospel. Now, you may not have known that term, but have you seen that doctrine around today? Well, these two are getting ready to or have already hit the Philippian church, and he's, he's uh, working on preparing them for it. <clears throat> uh, verse 3. Did we, can we do, did we do verse 2? No, we didn't do... Yeah, we did. All right, good. We're at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Now here he uses the word peritome, used in the New Testament for circumcision of the heart. Romans 2, 25-29 is a place you will see that. It refers to the breaking of the power of the sin nature. Circumcision of the heart is referring to breaking the power of the sin nature over your life. And that's the term that he uses in this one, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. If you are of the circumcision, the true circumcision, the one that circumcises the heart, one of the things you will have is you worship God in the spirit. If you want to be a true person of the circumcision, how you worship is imperative. If you cannot get your spirit involved in the worship, you haven't gotten there yet. It's not that you're a heathen. It's you have not gotten to this place where the circumcision has had its effect to break the power of the sin nature over your life. You need to become a worshiper. It's imperative. Not just people that are on a worship team. Not just people that are in ministry. But all people must become worshipers. So he says, listen, three things that we need to have going on if we are of the circumcision. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. That's the first thing. Not just stand up and sing three songs. 
All four verses. But get your spirit involved. Your spirit needs to, to, be, to be involved in, in that. I was uh, having a conversation with uh, Brother Doug Jones a few years ago. Last time we saw him when we were at one of the Raymond functions. And he shared in the, the function uh, one of the difficulties he had during the winter Bible seminars and some of the other things that had, had gone on. And um, I went up to him and talked to him about it later because I said, I never knew that you had that struggle. Uh, I said, I struggled with some of it, but I never knew that anyone else, uh, else did. And I said, you know, I've got people I know that are around me and they didn't struggle with it. I just did myself. But he said uh, some of the things that they were doing in the area of laughing and some of the things that they were doing in the area of dancing and running around the, the place. Uh, I mean, some folks were just freed up and they just went off and did it. And so he had a, brother, he had a conversation with Brother Hagen. And he said, Brother Hagen, he says, do you want me to be out there doing those things or do you want me to function in the anointing as God has shown me? Which is more important to you? And so he says, no, no, no. He says, you function in the, at least that's the second, I think that's the second thing that he said, function in the anointing, function in the, the things that he was doing. He says, I don't, I don't necessarily care that you function that way in the, or, or cooperate that way in the laughing and the running and the, and the dancing, but I want you to be open to it. That's how he put it to him. He says, if the Spirit leads you that way, I want you to be open to it. He says, well, I can do that. And so they went off on, on that kind of things. But uh, you've never seen Brother, brother uh, most of you have never seen Brother Doug Jones in, in one of these meetings. Uh, uh, I have. And, uh, you know, we could sit next to each other and be fine. <laughs> That's just, uh, now that doesn't mean that running around the building is wrong. It doesn't mean that uh, laughing is wrong. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that you know that's that's not a direction that that he was was going. And there's other things that are other factors in play that I don't really want to get into uh, all those kind of things. Don't look at I don't look at people who move off in that area as in the flesh. I didn't sit there. I mean I've had a good time watching some of those folks go out there and do that sort of stuff, and that's great. You know you always get those people. I had people around me, too, trying to jab me in the ribs, telling me, you need to get out there. So you don't know at all what I need to do. I didn't say that to him, but that's what I was thinking. <laughs> you don't know at all what I need to do. Now, sometimes we do need somebody to get out there and kind of, you know, hit us to get us going and, and to doing a certain thing because the Spirit of God is leading us and we're not obeying. We've got to make sure that we obey. We've got to make sure that we do the thing that we, we do. But I have confidence and in in I can hear the, the things of God and to know what the, the things to do. I also know that I can miss it in that area. So I do have to be careful. Don't ever think just because, well, I'm, I'm above all that. Well, now you're in trouble. See, if I ever get to a spot and I think I'm above all that. So anyway, Brother Doug and I, we had a conversation on that. won't tell you all the things that we were, we were talking about. Just tell you those. <laughs> but that was... Uh, that was that, because you know, if you get to be, if you're one of those people who's not dancing, not laughing, and not running around in one of those meetings, you can get to feel out of place. I didn't feel out of place, but you could. Yeah, you understand that one, don't you? You've been there. <laughs> A few of you folks have been out there in those meetings, and you've seen that. I mean, there's nothing better than that. that atmosphere is just wonderful, wonderful. Love that atmosphere. Miss being in those meetings. Because they were, they were good. But anyway, 
For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus. So we worship God in spirit. We rejoice in Christ. You don't rejoice in the things that you have done and the things that you have accomplished. You rejoice in Christ Jesus. It's real easy for us to get over to the side where we rejoice in the fact that God healed somebody through me. That we rejoice because the demon spirit left as I commanded it in the name of Jesus to go. We can get to rejoicing in these kind of things. But that's not what we're supposed to rejoice in. Remember Jesus said to the disciples when they came back and they said, even the demons are subject to to your name, to us through your name. And he said, don't rejoice in this. Rejoice that your names are written. (laughs) Yeah, Rejoice in Christ Jesus. He's the only one. You see, if you can get into that place that when good things happen through you, God does good things through you, then you are immune to the devil being able to set you up. To, well, how come that person didn't recognize what I did? How come this didn't happen here? How come this person didn't call on me to do these things? Because that can happen. And some people begin to feel that way. And if you rejoice in Christ Jesus, you just sit back there and glory to God. Look who got used. Ooh, that was good. That was good. And you just get excited because somebody else got used. And if you got bypassed from being used, you're all right. This is important. You see, if you have the right circumcision, the circumcision of the heart, the sin nature has no control over you. And you don't care who got used or if you got used at all. What you care about is, was the name of Jesus Christ lifted up? Were good things done? That's not a place that all Christians are at. Because they have not all been freed from the sin nature. They're still hanging on to part of it. No, no, no. I should have been I should have been used there. That should have been my thing. They should have asked me. Oh, I'll tell you what. We gotta <clears throat> we gotta be careful. I get I get nervous just on the inside of me. I'm not telling you that this is God or not. I'm just telling you that down on the inside of me. When I hear other ministers talk about my ministry, I cringe on the inside. And I think I can never have those words come out of my mouth. I just can't say them. If I did, I just feel like all the, I would just burn up from the inside out. <clears throat> because it isn't us. It's him. And we've got to rejoice in, in him. I get excited when I see other people being used. And if we have those services when I do nothing but sit there and, and watch what God is doing, oh, I tell you, I have the best time. That is the best kind of service. I just thoroughly enjoy that. Because other people are having an opportunity to grow and other, other gifts are, are involved. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. Not in whether you were used or whether your gift was used and developed or whether people appreciated you or any of that. You've got to get the you out of it. Let uh, let him come in. So we are of the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. (laughs) No confidence in the flesh. None. Now, we're still in a place where we have some confidence in the flesh. I, I know we still got that going on. And you can you can do yourself your own test. How many have been asking for something to change, something to go on, something to happen that hasn't happened yet. And when you go to God and talk to God about it in prayer, you begin to think about how long you have served God. 
how long and how much you have been faithful. How much you have sown into the kingdom. If those things begin to come up and sway you at all, that's confidence in the flesh. Because it's what I did. You've got to get rid of all that confidence in the flesh. It's your righteousness. We all know it's, well, it's not my righteousness. But when we'll say that, I know it's not my righteousness. I wear his righteousness. But if something bad happens, how many Christians do you know who begin to say, well, how come that would happen to me? I go to church every Sunday. I even show up on Wednesdays. I'm listening to podcasts during the week. I worship God in my car on the way to work. I pray every night for all these different things. We begin to list off all this stuff. Why would this happen to me? That's an that's underlying confidence in the flesh. Anytime we have a, we're, we're trying to get anything from God because of something we have done or been doing or a quality that we have, that's a confidence in the flesh. We've got to get rid of it. So if you want to be those who are of the circumcision, be one who worships God in the Spirit, rejoices in Christ Jesus, and that's it. And have no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he might have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So he says, if any of you all out there are thinking that you have confidence in the flesh, I can blow you out of the water. (laughs) Circumcised the eighth day. That's the day you're supposed to be, according to the Word of God. That's the day... You're supposed to be circumcised. That means he grew up in a Hebrew home, a Jewish home. And they believed on the eighth day because other other folks don't do it on the eighth day. The the Hebrews did that on the eighth day. Uh, And some people who came over from a Gentile lifestyle, they were circumcised as an adult. He's saying, no, got you all beat. Eighth day or right here. Of the stock of Israel. He was a true Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, why does he mention that? Because there are two tribes in Israel that held higher esteem than all the other tribes. Judah and Benjamin. Because the other ten nations fell. And these two stayed faithful. At least they stayed faithful longer. So if you are of one of those two tribes you were in higher esteem. Now, there were some of the, the tribes from the north who came down to the southern kingdom, but they kind of lost their identity in the, with the, the other two tribes. So he's saying the, of the, he's of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law. As far as the law is concerned, there was not a Hebrew who was more Hebrew than I was. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what he's saying. He's saying concerning the law of Pharisee. Those are the guys who hold, that's a, their full-time job, maintaining the law. Concerning zeal, as far as a Hebrew, Jewish person was concerned, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Now, Paul has a pretty good handle of his times that he's missed it. But he says, as far as the things of the law, I set my mind to do this. And I was blameless. That's, uh, that's pretty good. 
Now, some people, they say they're blameless, and you know, <laughs> that's, not, that's just not so. But Paul, if he missed it, he, he's the first one to tell you his own shortcomings. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Now, the word they're counted is the perfect tense, I have counted, speaking of an action with continuing results. So this is an action that has been completed, but it has having continuing results. He says, but what things we were gained to me, these I have counted for loss. So in the natural, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, all the things that that gained for me, I counted as loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. In other words, everything that I have gained as far as the, the kingdom is concerned. Not just those things as a Pharisee. Not just those things as a, as a Hebrew. He says here, Yet indeed I also count all things loss. Now this would include those things that he's done in the Spirit. Before he's talking about those things he did as a Hebrew, which would be more of the flesh. The, and he's talking about confidence in the flesh. I got more reason to have confidence in the flesh than all of you. But now he's left that. He's going on to this. I also count all things loss. That would mean all the people that he got healed. All the people that got saved. All the people who got filled with the Spirit. All the demons that got cast out. All the nations that were changed as a result of the gospel coming in. He's saying, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. He's saying, no matter what it is that I've gained in the Spirit, no matter what it is that I've gained in the kingdom, compared to what it is to have revelation knowledge from Jesus Christ, it's nothing. Nothing at all. Now, not everybody feels that way. There are a lot of people who look at the, the things that happen in ministry as more important than receiving revelation knowledge from God. You sit down there and you talk about uh, what's going on in ministry. Most people start to talk about who was healed. What demons were cast out. How many people were saved. Not everybody talks about the revelations that God has given them as those kind of things. Apparently, that's what's important to Paul. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. None of those things are going to hold me back. I'll, I'll give them all up in an instant that I might make sure that I stay in the way of Christ, that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. And be found in him, not having, now he's already had said no, no confidence in the flesh, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Didn't he already say that as far as the law is concerned, he's blameless? But he's saying right there, not, not the righteousness that comes from the law. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. So if anyone was going to gain righteousness through the law, Paul is saying, I'm at the head of the class because I went through that. I lived up to the law and was blameless. But he says, that's not the righteousness that I have to my account. The one that I have to my account is that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, not that which is by works. That's all stuff that we, we have known. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I heard one person teach this, 
that I might know him, saying that Paul lost touch with God. Yeah, I know. I, saw, I heard him say that. What? What? How do you get that out of there? I don't know how they got that out of there. I just went on to something else. and I, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He says that I may know him. Well, the more you know God, the more you know there is to know about him. I don't think we ever come to a place that, you know what? Yeah, God, I know him. Mm-hmm. I already got that down. No, he's saying, no, I've, I've learned all kinds of things. About and I'm learning, there, there's more to know. There's more to know. I want him to show me more. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So the first thing he lists here is that we may know him. Revelation knowledge, knowing who, not about. Knowing who God is is foremost on this list. We need to go into the Word of God to learn who God is, not just about Him. Not just about the things that He's done. We got to know who He is. That's the first thing He puts in the list. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. The power of His resurrection. His resurrection, there was a lot of power. More power is ascribed to the resurrection of Jesus Christ than anything else. And he says that I may know that power. Oh, I'll tell you what, if you can know that power. (laughs) And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. Now, Jesus taught us that in life we we would suffer like he did. We would have persecutions like he did. You will suffer in life as Christ Jesus did. In life, you will not suffer as Christ did in death. You will suffer as he did in life. Now look at the next, this part. Being conformed to his death. Doesn't that sound like we ought to come up to and live his death? We're coming up on um, Resurrection Sunday. One of the common things that they do around the world is it's, they get somebody who, who's going to decide, I'm going to suffer like Christ did, and they're going to nail him to a cross. Oh. And you know, they're going to do all that kind of stuff with them. We're not called to suffer the things that Christ did in his death. In fact, I believe the Word of God teaches us that he suffered those things in his death so that we don't have to. <laughs> So if he did that so we don't have to, what are we possibly gaining by going through the sufferings of his death? And just because you got nailed to a cross doesn't mean you're going through the sufferings of his death. Because that was not the main part of his death. The main part of his death was all the sin of all the whole world being put on him and, on, on him, and you cannot go through that because someone already bore it. <laughs> it's not there to be born again. You can't bear it anymore. It's done. Glory to God, it's, it's over. So you cannot suffer the sufferings of his death. All you can do is suffer the sufferings of his life. The same things that he suffered in life, you can suffer. Resistance to sin. Persecutions. The enemy trying to come and get the word out. All these kind of things. These are things you can, you can suffer. Being conformed to his death is actually uh, a poor translation. And I wrote this in your outline for you. Being made conformable up to his death. We are to conform to him up to his death because his death we cannot be conformed to. 
That was something unique, something early Christ could do. And he did it, and because it's done, it can't be done again. Glory to God for that. So that we may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now look at that. Isn't that kind of out of order? That we may know him. All right, I can understand why that would be first in the list. And the power of his resurrection. When did the power of his resurrection happen? After his death. Then we could go back and talk about the sufferings of his life. Why won't you talk about the sufferings of his life and then the power of his resurrection? <laughs> because if you don't know the power of his resurrection, you're going to have a hard time going through the, the sufferings of this, of this life. So he says, first I'll get to know the power of his resurrection and you'll be better equipped to go through the sufferings of his life. And then we get to verse 11. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, doesn't this sound like something that he is striving to, uh, to accomplish? That he hasn't accomplished it yet, but he wants to? Now, think about this. Paul had the experience on the road. He's definitely born again. Had the healing that went on with the prophet. Had the uh, revelation of the church poured out to him. Called up into heaven. How many other visions and things he had? Who knows? But we know he had that one. Called up into heaven and explained the things of the church. And he's been writing down some of that. Teaching some of that. He's been in, in places. Turned the whole city upside down. People got healed. Demons were cast out. People were saved. People were filled with the Spirit. People who had no knowledge of the things of God came to a knowledge of the things of God and the kingdom of God was greatly increased because of Paul. In fact, in his day, I don't know of any other single person who had more to do with expanding the kingdom of God than Paul. I don't think anybody, not even Peter, James, John, I don't think anybody, not saying that they didn't do things, they did, but I don't think anyone outdid him as far as results, as far as what was accomplished. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So if there is something to be attained to, don't you think Paul would be the one to attain it? I sure would think that. If there is something to be attained to, surely he's, a, he's at the head of the class to get there. But the resurrection from the dead, aren't we all going to be resurrected? Doesn't Paul teach us in the Word of God that the resurrection is a certainty? That we're in the kingdom and we will be resurrected? That all, the dead in Christ, the dead in Christ, they'll, they'll rise first they'll, and then we're going to meet them in the air? That's talking about everybody. Does it sound like there's any attaining to that? No. So what's he talking about here? If by any means. That means any way, any way we can get there. <laughs> if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Well, the key here is in this word resurrection. And I put it in your outline. The common word for resurrection is in there at first. This is not the common word for resurrection. This is a different word. 
Anastasis is the word for resurrection. This word is ex-anastasis. Ex means, you can probably figure this one out, out of. It means out of. So what he's saying is that I may attain to the out of resurrection. (laughs) And what does that mean? (laughs) It means simply this. There seems to be a group out of the entire resurrected that are brought into heaven, all the whole group of the resurrected, that out of that is a select group called the out-resurrection, which is what he puts this here to. And this would be something to be attained to. That there is a group, you can call it like a, a Navy SEAL, special forces group. Those ones that have stood out above all else. This is those, those ones that I've attained. Paul says, I want to attain to that group. I want to be one of those. One of those. One of the examples I heard uh, about this is uh, in, back in the, the days, you know, when they had the Olympics. And you might be a village, you might be a small city, and you would send somebody who has been training, and they would go to the Olympic Games. And all their life, they're not eating all the other things that everybody else eats. All their life, they're not just going out and, and having a good time. They're training. They're getting ready. They spend years developing their skill, developing their talent, developing the speed. They have. Whatever it is that they're, they're going to the Olympic Games for, they're developing that particular skill. And they spend many, many years developing this particular skill. And uh, the whole city is excited. And they send their young man out to the Olympic Games. And he goes off to the Olympic Games and he competes. Let's say he was in a race. And he got in that race and the gun went off and the competition was fierce. And there were a lot of people up in the front. But he eked out. Eked out the, the, the win. And after he got that win, he would... Be, go to the award ceremony. And I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. The, and I think this is how it's pronounced. The, the, the throne that the king would sit down upon to, to hand out the awards for the Olympic Games. The, 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 the Bema, I think of it. The Bema throne. And he would sit there and he'd hand these things out. And after all those years of training, all those years of denying yourself all those other things, all that time spent, the pain, the agony to get yourself ready. Getting into the race and pushing yourself further and faster than anyone else ever had. You come and what kind of a reward do you think that you get? And the, the king would pull out a crown of olive leaves. And he would take this olive leaf crown And he would set it upon the young man's head. And he would go home. He spent all those years for an olive olive branch, olive uh, leaf uh, crown. And he'd come on home. And the village, the city, would see that their young man had come to a place of victory. And they would want to celebrate. And this is how they celebrated this young man's victory. All the men in the village, all the men in the city, 
would take their picks and their hammers and their shovels and they would go outside of the wall and they would pick apart an opening in the wall. They would carve a small opening in the wall. They would go clean through. And then what would happen is this young man who had the trophy on his head, olive crown, he would go outside of the city and they would have a big ceremony. Everybody from the city is present and they would all begin to watch as this young man came and he entered the city through this small hole in the wall. And after he entered the city in this small hole in the wall, the same men who had opened it up would then take out their tools and they closed up the wall. And they put above this hole in the wall that's now closed up and they put a plaque on it with his name. And they would say, so-and-so entered the city through this, this hole in the wall and no one else would ever enter the city that way. He would be memorialized for the rest of his time that this young man entered the city through this particular spot. The rewards didn't end there. The rewards also would go on and that his food for the rest of his life was paid for by those inhabitants of the city, village, wherever they were. His clothing, all paid for. He and his family, tax-free. The rest of their lives, they are tax-free. And they would have a ticket to go to the Olympic Games whenever they wanted to. They could go. All these things because of that crown, that achievement that he had. What Paul is basically saying here is this. When I enter into heaven, I don't want to enter in through the wide gate. I want to enter in through the small hole in the wall that only a select few get to enter in by. I want to attain to the group of the folks of the resurrection that God says, you are my elite force. You have denied yourself in this life. You have pressed on. You have overcome the flesh. You have walked into a place of circumcision of your heart. You have been mindful of the kingdom of God. Remember before we talked about, Paul said only one person is mindful like I am. Only one person, that's Timothy. He says, I want to attain to that select group, that elite force. Now, is that in the rest of the Bible? Well, when we looked at Revelations on, on uh, Sunday, is everybody an elder? Uh-uh. No, not everybody's an elder. Is everybody an archangel? No, not all the angels are archangels. There's only one as far as we know. There might be a few others that we're not told about. We only know of Michael. Aren't there levels of angels? He's saying apparently there is a select group you can get into, folks. And he says, I, I am striving 
to attain to that. Now you look around at Christians today and you look at uh, you know, some of the, the ones that you know uh, who are in other states, not talking about Christians that's around here, but ones that are in other states, and you get on the phone on Monday morning and you begin to talk about what God did in worship on Sunday and all the things that had happened and how exciting it was and, and so forth and how was church for you? Oh, we didn't go. Oh, were you were you not feeling well? Was something wrong? No, no, it was it was just kind of rainy. We didn't want to go out in the rain, so we stayed home. Is that a person who's attaining to this level? When they get to heaven, do you think they ought to be on the same level as everyone else who attained, who pushed? No, there's apparently a select group, but beside that, there's probably some other other groups, just like in the army, just like in the marines, just like in the navy. There might be, you know, there's, there's a lot of seals in there. There's a lot of seals. And, uh, you know, talking with Christian, he got real up on all this sort of stuff. And he says, you know what their job is by their seal team. Most of the time we hear about seal team six. But generally, that's, that's, the, that's the highest that apparently you can attain to is seal team six. You might think seven or eight or something like that, but apparently that's, a, that's an elite group. And you don't just start off in SEAL Team 6. You've got to start off at SEAL Team 1 or SEAL Team 2 or one of these other ones. But when they got a big job to do, they apparently grab this particular SEAL Team, which is not just six or eight or ten guys. There's apparently a lot of people on SEAL Team 6. I don't know how many, but apparently a lot of people on that, and they don't send the whole SEAL Team 6 out on any particular mission. They take some of them, and then they send them out on on these particular things. So even there, you have a, a, the elite of the elite. And even in the, uh, above that, you have other ones that, that are of certain, certain uh, higher groups. They may not obtain the level of a seal, but there are other higher groups that they, they would have. So when we're going about in this life, he's saying, be striving to attain to the highest level that you can. Just paraphrasing it. He wants, he wants the big group. He's going for the big team. That's what he's doing. He's going for that group that is pulled out of the resurrection. I even saw a clip on this. I, I found it on my phone when I was looking for a nice uh, graphic picture to put up there when we put the little summary up for the thing. And I found it on my phone, so I went to find it on the computer so I could pull it up and have it up. And it wasn't, I couldn't find it. But it actually has that whole thing put out, the actual... Uh, uh, resurrection word and out resurrection. As in, but I can't find it again. You can probably find it yourself if you go on out there. And I don't know what I put in there for the search criteria, but it was different from what I was putting in there today. So here's the question. If there truly is an elite team, are you striving to attain to it? Or are you letting little things hold you back? Are you letting little things aggravate your flesh? Are you letting little things get you upset? Because this isn't happening for you. Or this isn't going the way that you wanted it to go. Or how come it's not going this way? Or how come it's not like this? Well, I think they ought to do this. Remember him teaching before? Do all things without grumbling and complaining. (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. Grumble and complain, not getting on this team. 
This team has no grumblers and complainers. None of that's going on. You know, one of the, one of the things you'll find out about the, the, the seals is they never complain about the weather. Because they learned in the, in the training. You think it's too cold? Did, did you say you thought it was too cold? <clears throat> now you're in trouble. You, you, you don't. You learned early on. I've had plenty of sleep. I've had plenty to eat. <laughs> I'm feeling good. <laughs> no matter what it is that's happening, this is how you feel. <laughs> and if you get disciplined and somebody pushes you in the cold water because you deserved it, what do you do? You get up and say, thank you, sir. <laughs> now, see, that's a different mentality. We're not used to that. We get up and say, what do you think you're doing? But see, that's not an elite group. The elite group doesn't do that. The elite group doesn't sit, get up there and second guess God. The elite group says, I don't know why I have to do that. That's not the elite group. He says, I am living my life down here so that I can attain to that group. I don't know if I've attained it yet. So I'm still working it. Still going that way. How you doing? Are you attaining it? Are you getting anywhere close? Are you even mindful of it? See, every time the enemy pulls you into the flesh, every time the enemy gets you to be angry, every time the enemy gets you to say a harsh word, every time the enemy gets you to get pulled out of love, what you're saying is, I'm not qualified for that team. Not qualified. Some strive for power and recognition. That's what they strive for. Some people strive for prestige and honor. There's all kinds of things we can strive for that are not right. But what we're supposed to strive for is the kingdom of God. Alone. Just because you get to heaven doesn't mean that you're in the group that you want to be. And that's not new teaching for you. Because when Jesus gave the parables, enter into your kingdom. You'll be over ten cities. Well, he's a little more lead, isn't he? Enter into your kingdom. You'll be over five why? He's elite, but not as elite as the guy with Tim. So where do you want to go? What level do you want to strive for? Can the enemy pull you away from the things that Paul has just described just in this one book? Can he pull you away from that? How easy is it for you to get pulled off of these things and not be mindful of the kingdom, but mindful of of the ministry that God has given me and what's happening with it. Mindful of the things that God is doing through me. More important than what God is doing through all. It's a different mindset. You got to think seals. You got to think green berets. You got to think whatever other special force guys that are out there. Yeah, I, I love... I, Favorite shows to watch on TV 
are ones with special force people. Love those special force people. Their mindset is different. They don't sit around and complain. It's one of the first things you'll notice about them. They don't. We used to sit around. We used to love this one show. Dennis Haysburg. What was that show? The Unit. The Unit. Oh, we loved We used to sit around and talk about. The, did you watch The Unit? Did. Loved it. These guys just were different. They got another, another one. I don't know if you all seen this one or not. But one of the unit guys is on a new elite team. And we watched it a few times. And I, I turned to, I, 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 we, we recorded it. And I told Nikolai, Nikolai, you're going to like this show. I watched the first two. And I'll watch them again with you. Cause you're going to like this show. This is, oh, this, this is up our alley. And so we, we, we watched it and we pulled the ladies in too. They're, they're liking it as well. Elite force. They're not even in the Marines or the Navy, or that they are just by themselves, and they don't exist. And they go around the world and they do things. <laughs> and one of the guys from the unit is on the team. And uh, look forward, every time he comes on, it's on, it's on. Nikolai comes on, I got one. We can sit down and we can watch it. Because I love watching the mentality of these guys. These guys don't have in their mind failure. They don't have in their mind, we can't do that. They don't have in their mind, it's not fair. They don't have in their mind, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm cold. I'm hurt. It's not in their mindset. It's a completely different mindset. And their entire being is about what they do do for the country for a group of people who will never know what they sacrificed who will never know the danger that they put themselves in and they're ready at the drop of a hat that when someone says go they are ready to go even though they may not come back that's the mindset we need to have how many Christians do you know that have that kind of a mindset for the kingdom of God? How many of y'all think Paul had that mindset? <laughs> I think he did. And he's saying, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection, to that group that is pulled out of the resurrection of the dead. Father, we want to have that mentality that Paul had. That mentality that says... I want to go further. I want to go at this harder. I want to be more mindful of the kingdom of God than I am for anything else. I want to be able to say that everything I have gained in life, I count as loss for him. Father, we want to have that mindset. We want to have that mentality, that special forces mentality that says we will give everything up for the kingdom and we don't care if anyone is ever grateful. We don't care if anyone is ever mindful. We don't care that anyone ever knows. Because we do it for the Master. We do it for the Kingdom. Help us, Father, to get that mentality and to live this life that way. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.